Hey, welcome everyone. I'm so glad that you are here. We are in the book of Acts, but before we dive in, I want to remind you, if you were here a few weeks ago, about our vision. And our whole vision is life together. It comes out of Acts 2.42 that says they committed themselves to the teaching of the apostles, the life together. And in that, I walked you through our five kind of key directions. Here's a, here's a picture of them. Uh, the first one is, what do we do? We go backwards. Cool. Vision stuck. I love it. All right. Um, and, and this is where we have to know where we came from. It's where, where we like actually embody and love the word of God. And then we go backwards so that we can go forward. Right. And, and we go together and, and we go upward and we pursue what? God's presence. All right. All right. All right. Well done. All right. And then we go inward because we do our work. None of us have arrived. Um, we are all in process. And then we go outward in our service of our community and one another. And I'm excited because as you dive into the book of Acts, you're going to see this more and more. I love where we've been headed last week. I love Jackie's message. Next weekend, Lenny D is preaching from the first time since Savannah Brooks has been born. So I'll tell you, every moment he has with our staff, it's like this sermon. It's like something just wants, he's like, we're going to talk about generosity. I'm going to preach about generosity. It's three points. So come next week. It's going to be awesome. But if you have a Bible, turn with me to Acts chapter 4. It's a continuation of where we were last week when Jackie preached about this amazing healing that took place in the temple. If you don't have a Bible, um, but you have a smartphone, you can find it on Bible Gateway or, or there's some Bibles in your but it says this in Acts 4, verse 1. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. All right? So remember, there's a man for 40 some years who just was struggling who'd be brought to the gate called Beautiful. And one day, uh, Peter just walked up to him and said, look at me. And then he simply just said, hey, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have, I give to you in the name of the Lord and Savior. Get up and you're healed. And he literally was healed. And, and, and all of a sudden, that became the buzz around the temple courts. Now, you might hear kind of three communities often referenced in the scriptures. You might hear the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Sanhedrin. All right. So the Pharisees, sometimes they get a bad rap. Ron and I have talked about this before. Sometimes the Pharisees get a really, really bad rap. But truth be told, they love to go backwards. They love the word of God. And they love something called midrash. And midrash is where you basically create some kind of a, well, could it be? And, and what about this? And, and what was Moses really like? And, and they didn't just have the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, but they had like the oral commentary behind. Like they're, they're understanding. They're wondering. Maybe, maybe God meant it like this. They, they, they were genius. And yet sometimes they were so connected and committed to something that they missed the Messiah right before them. But they actually believed in resurrection. They believed that after you died, that when the Messiah would come, there would be resurrection. They believed in the spirit of God. Now, the Sadducees, the Sadducees were different. The Sadducees were the wealthy elite. The Sadducees were... Ah, the kind of people who were very, very literal to the text. They didn't actually have any sense of oral tradition. It was if the text said it, they did it. It, it. They were very literal. And oftentimes when I try and teach you the scriptures, I don't want you to just study the Bible literally and take the Bible literally. And some of you are going to think I'm a heretic. I want you to understand the Bible literally. 
Because when you read the Bible, sometimes it's a poem. It's not supposed to be written and understood literally. Sometimes it is, like forgive and love your neighbor. But, but you have to be able to discern. For the Sadducees, they did not and would not discern. It just, if it said it, I'm going to do it. Now, what the Sadducees didn't believe was in the afterlife. They did not believe in resurrection. So Pharisees do, Sadducees don't, and then the Sanhedrin. Sanhedrin were made up of 70, some, some references are 72, but 70, 72, you, you'll see this number. Um, oftentimes, sometimes in the Gospels, Jesus sent out 70, 72, de- depending on who's like uh, writing it. You'll see that the, in Genesis, there were like 70, 72 nations. You'll see when Moses actually, his father-in-law comes to him, basically his father-in-law says, hey, you can't be the only judge. You need more. And, and so he takes 70, and some s- translations say 72. So the Sanhedrin were some of the 72 best thinkers of the day, made up of Pharisees, made up of Sadducees. So, so this is what's happening right now, is that Peter and John have just healed someone, and they are preaching and speaking, and the Pharisees aren't getting upset. And the Sanhedrin is not getting upset, but the Sadducees are. So the question is why? Continue reading. It says this, verse 2. They, the Sadducees, were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus, what? The resurrection of the dead. So the Sadducees are like, no, 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 this is bad for business. One, you healed someone, but you are, you are proclaiming that this man died and was raised? No. No. And if you actually do this and people are going to side more with the Pharisees, or they're going to more side with your movement, this is not good for us. So verse 3, they seized Peter and John because it was evening. They put them in jail until the next day. Back in those days, you, you couldn't make a decision. You had to have a, a night to basically sleep on it for the entire council, the Sanhedrin, to kind of gather and actually make a decision. It continues on and says this, Verse 4, but many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. Now, in just four chapters, this thing is growing. If you go to chapter 1, I just want you to kind of see the trajectory. In in chapter 1, verse 15, all it was was 120 people in a gathered room. So probably about half of this room up in the upper balcony, and they're just like, they're, they're there. They're like waiting. And then Pentecost happens. In chapter 2, verse 41, we, we learn that it's 3,000 men. And, and you have to think about that. Okay, 3,000 men, that's 3,000 families. So let's probably say that's 10,000 people. In chapter 2, verse 47, a few, few verses later, when they're actually doing life together, it says that the Lord added to their number daily. This thing's growing. Chapter 4, verse 4, then you get to 5,000 men. And all of a sudden, it's like, all right, 5,000 men, if you, if you do that by four people, man, this, this thing is growing. You'll see in chapter 5, verse 14, it says men and women. And this is massive, and this is huge, because it's the first time when Luke is trying to count, and he's like, there's just way too many. And identifying both men and women, and then he says, and multitudes. So this is way too much to even count. So this thing in just five chapters is just growing. Back to the text. It says this, verse 5, the next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem, 
Annas, the high priest, was there, and so were Caiaphas. Caiaphas was the one who dreamed up the, the plan to kill Jesus in the book of John. John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. And Caiaphas actually led the Sanhedrin. It says this, they had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. And here's the question. By what power or what name did you do this? How, how did you do this? How did you get this man well? How did you heal? By what power? In what name? And in many ways, they're trying to trap him. They're trying to trap him. And they're trying to understand. Because, again, you've got to understand, the high priest, there was profound religious power. They had the ties to Rome. And that religious power with the ties to Rome and running kind of the temple, they had financial power. They ran the temple treasury. So all of the money that came in, it went through the high priest. Religious power, financial power, political power. But they don't have healing power and they don't have resurrection power. And so this is completely bad for business. And they want to know, by what power or what name did you do this? And then Peter. And Peter's just awesome because he's just like, all right, you want to know? I'll tell you. It says this, and Peter filled with the Holy Spirit said, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, so basically, hey, you leaders, whom you killed, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Verse 11, Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Verse 12, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Peter just sees this and goes, man, this is a time for the gospel. I'm going to call you out, and I'm going to make you and call you up to understand what transpired. But he does something so brilliant. He takes you back, and he quotes a passage from Psalms. And, and here's the passage. Maybe, maybe some of you remember this in, like, have you ever went to vacation Bible school, or you grew up in maybe a, a kid's ministry, or maybe you grew up with, with a grandma like I did who had an organ who would often play that song, like, this is the day. This is the day that the Lord has made. Yeah, you got that clap down. That's right. You're right. You remember this song? And, and you always thought like, oh, man, this is the day. It's going to be a good day. The best is yet to come kind of day. That's not what it's talking about. And what's amazing is every time that Luke does a reference from the Hebrew Scriptures, what we know as the Old Testament, it's, it's, it's not just that verse. It's often trying to detail the verses that are after it. So when you're reading and you do your kind of weekly reading and you see something in the Old Testament, go back there. But don't just read that verse. Read that whole chapter. Now watch this. In Psalm 118, verse 22, it says, The stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. This is what the, the Lord's doing. And it's wonderful to see. This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. So we sing in that song all about a day where people missed out on what was this rejected stone. Now, here's, here's what would happen. Uh, some of you know this. 
But, but basically, they would go to this kind of quarry, and they cut a stone. And the, and the, the legend is, the, the lore is, that they cut a massive stone that was going to be the cornerstone. The cornerstone was like the first stone that was set. And once that stone was set, every other stone was built on it. If you ever want to get fascinated with archaeology in the ancient Near East, study cornerstone, capstones, and keystones. Those three were central to the building and creation of a temple, a house, a home, a structure. But what was amazing is somehow the lore is they brought this massive stone, they went to set it as the cornerstone, and they looked at it and they were like, no, that's not it. But it was so massive that the builders just like moved it and it stayed on the temple mount. This is the lore. And every day people would go to Solomon's temple and they would pass by this rejected cornerstone. And what's amazing is now Peter's saying, oh, that lore, that verse, everything that you all rejected, that was what this whole house was supposed to be built on. You built it on financial power. You built it on political power. You built it on religious power, but you did not build it on resurrection power. And when Christ was crucified and Christ rose from the day, that is the day that the Lord made. That is what we will rejoice and be glad in is because he died and he rose again so that we have access to the Father. And then Peter says, and salvation doesn't come from following the Pharisees or the Sadducees or bowing down in the Sanhedrin. The, the salvation doesn't come from the Torah. Salvation comes from one man, Jesus. And in this moment, you have to go back and go, all of these religious leaders they knew about Jesus. The Sanhedrin, they knew about Jesus. The Sadducees, they knew about Jesus. The Pharisees, they knew about Jesus. And they also knew about these high schoolers who were following him around. And I'm sure Jesus walked into the temple and Peter and John behind him. And I'm sure they walked by that man, that beautiful gate who had been there asking and begging. And those guys just walked by, blind eye, didn't see, following Jesus in the dust of the rabbi, doing whatever they wanted to do, but they missed him. But now the same guy who was denying that he had any recollection or any connection or any knowledge of Jesus of Nazareth now is like, let me tell you, your only way to have access with the Father is through him. Just imagine if you were like a religious leader and you're like, that dude was a denier and now 40 to 50 days later, he's outspoken. The question is like, do people change? Can people change? Because Peter just shows us this from someone who went to denier to someone who's like, let me tell you. And now when you see this, look what it says in verse 13. Verse 13, it says this. When they, the Sanhedrin, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and they realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Hey, by the way, if this is your first time here, I don't have this memorized. I have a cheat sheet in the back of those TVs, okay? So just want you to know that. Now, here's the truth. When you see this, you might just read and be like, oh, unschooled, ordinary men. And what's amazing is when you begin to actually unpack this and you see the words. Look at, look at the word unschooled. Ah, grammatas. 
Now, anytime you put an A in Greek in front of another word, it's basically saying the A is anti or not or without. And what is grammatos? Which word do you see in that? Grammar. Yeah, without grammar. Without education. And what the religious leaders are saying, they didn't go through our schools of training. They didn't, they, they didn't actually follow a rabbi that we actually said was one of us. They are unschooled in the Jewish way. But then look at the other way. Some say ordinary. Some, some translations say uh, untrained. Look what that word is. Idios. <laughs> well, what word do we get there? Idiot. I mean, can you believe this? This is what they're saying. They're like, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and they were without grammar and idiots, they were like, how are they doing this? And there's that beautiful line. But they realized they had been with Jesus. Well, what's amazing, too, is if, if you're actually familiar with Paul, Paul, who is Saul, and we're going to learn about him in a few weeks, but like Saul was a religious leader. I, I imagine Saul was in that room. Saul is just watching, maybe in, kind of like in the background. He's rabbi. Gamaliel in chapter 5 will learn about. But like his rabbi is, is, is speaking up. And imagine Saul is just watching this whole thing. He get to 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 10. And you know what, what Paul writes? He says, we are fools for Christ. And I wonder if that moment just stood out to him. Go, man, these, ah, oh, grammatas, these unschooled, without grammar, idiots, but they had been with Jesus. And the word for fools that Paul uses is the word moros. So morons. We're morons for Christ. I think this is amazing because we've all probably had moments where you've wondered, like, man, what are they thinking? Or sometimes, sometimes we have these moments where, man, we just we want to act like we know more than we do have more together than we actually do, try to pretend or perform or perfect. And there's something really, really humbling when you realize, like, ah, deep down, I don't care what people think. And I do, but the real deep feeling and desire is I don't want them to see me. I want them to see Christ in me. I want, I want someone to be like, that guy's an idiot, but, man, he actually follows Jesus. I guess a moron, but man, he's, he's, he's actually like someone who abides with Christ. I mean, can you imagine just, and you probably had these moments in the marketplace or your school, in your neighborhood, places that you, you kind of go to, and people are like, I don't agree with anything that they are about, but at least they are a healthy representation of what they so believe. And that, that, that's, that is the cognitive dissonance that these religious leaders are feeling right now. How... Are they, by what power and name are they doing, how does this denier have so much boldness? How, how, how? Because they didn't go through our system. We control how people think and act and they're not doing it and they're idiots. But they've been with Jesus. We have to respect that. Continues on, it says this. Verse 14, but since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them. There was nothing they could say. So Peter and John are like, I got a message, but they brought a prop, the lame man who can now walk. 
And he's just there like, man, this is amazing. You know, like, they did this. You know, like, and you, and you have to imagine the way that they would set this up is they were like brought into like a room and the 70 were like around them. And they were in the circle. And they were just standing there. And they basically had all of these like um, kind of like bench seating. And they would just sit there. And then Peter and John and the man who is now healed are standing before them. And there's a whole crowd of people outside because they know Peter and John are on trial. And they're wondering. And so this is really, really tense because the religious leaders are like, all right, man, I still don't know what happened to him because for some 40 years we've been passing by this guy, giving him some money, and now he, that's real. And sometimes I wonder, like, why couldn't the religious leaders in that day just go, maybe we got it wrong. Maybe, maybe, maybe we missed the plot. Maybe, maybe we, we tried to build an institution or maybe we tried to build something around the wrong stuff or the wrong name or the wrong idea. Maybe, maybe what this whole thing was set out to be, maybe, maybe we just drifted from that. Why, why couldn't they surrender? Why couldn't they just admit? Maybe there is something to Jesus. And I think for all of us, that, that's, that's in our everyday life, we probably have moments with that. We have to come before that and recognize, man, there's, there's a little bit of Pharisee and Sadducee and Sanhedrin in all of us. And there's a moment where we are all invited into this sense of, wow, for my own spiritual growth, where, where, where am I going to go backwards? I don't want to do life together. I want to do life by myself. But when you see the text... There's a sense of surrender to that and go, okay, if I actually want to do the life that Jesus asked me to do, then I want to pursue God's presence. Okay, if God's actually everywhere, then, then everywhere matters. There's redemptive potential. i got to surrender to that reality. Or I'm going to do inward. Because I'm tired of just continuing having collateral damage or generational pain continue on to the next generation. i got to do my work. And, and there's a moment where some of us are like, no, 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 no. And I have that. No, 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 no. That theological issue? No, 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 no. I, I don't got time for that. That, that, that wrestling? Ah. That sense of forget? Ah. That sense of whatever it is. And I think we all have to not just say, oh, Peter and John, amazing, amazing, amazing. I think we all have to like wrestle with, wow, where in me am I resistant to the act of surrender? Continues on and says this. This is all going somewhere, I promise, or at least I hope. Just kidding. This is this. Verse 15. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin. So they leave the 70 to 72. And then conferred together. And the word confer is this beautiful word. It's basically where they like toss up an idea. And so like, so, so someone, you know, might say, hey, I think, here's, here's what I think we should do with them. And then, then Lenny would be like, no, no, I, I think we should do this. And then someone else is like, no, 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 we should do this. And they're just throwing ideas back and forth to finally see which one will stick. And then it says this. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows that they have performed a notable sign, and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, again, it's bad for business, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Now, you have to understand, 
is in that court of law, there had been no law set that you can't speak in the name of Jesus. So this is like a groundbreaking moment because the Sanhedrin is about to declare a new law. No more speaking in the name of Jesus. No more proclaiming this name of Jesus. No more talking about salvation is only in one name. No more proclaiming his name in the death, the burial, the resurrection. No more. And if you fast forward and you know the story of Saul who becomes Paul, why is he going out to Damascus? Because he hears that someone's preaching what? The name. So there had been now this a law that is established. Continues again. It says this. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. And then Peter again, verse 19. And John replied, which is right in God's eyes? To listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. I, I, I love this because what Peter's saying is like, I have to bear witness to that. This is what's so beautiful about the power of story. Whenever you experience a story, a redemption story, a story of healing, a story of prayers answered, a story of forgiveness, a story where it's just like has all of the inklings of a miracle in your presence, how can you not talk about that? How can you not bear witness to what God did, bringing order to the chaos? How can you not? And these leaders, again, don't know what to do. And so they say, After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years. Now, after this healing, something profound happens. I don't know what you would do after you healed someone. I don't know what you would do after you stood in front of the Sanhedrin and they just hurled threats. And I don't know what those threats were. Hey, what we did to your rabbi, we'll do to you. We will beat you. We will imprison you. We will go to no ends to stop this false movement. I think that's what they're saying. But this is this, verse 23, on their release, Peter and John went back to their own people. They went back to their community. They went back to the people that they're going forward with. And it says this, and they reported all the chief priests and the elders had said to them, When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God, sovereign Lord. They said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father, David. And they quote Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. And what's amazing is if you read Psalm 2, the next verse is... And the Lord in the heavens just laughed. Basically laughing at these people who have these plots, who create these plans to thwart the spirit of God. And I just love in the sense that in the face of adversity, in the face of threats, in the face of of just fear, they go back to their people and they pray. When adversity comes and stress comes and fear comes to you, if you're like me, sometimes it's, you give it permission to escape. It doesn't say they went back to their people and 
went to Lucky Monk and had a whole bunch of cheese curds because that's what I would do. I, I, it, it, they, they don't say they went and they just gave him permission and license to some unhealthy escape. In the matter of stress and adversity, they look up. They go upward. They pursue God's presence and they say, Sovereign Lord, we actually believe you're up to something. We can't see how it all plays out. And, so, and, and this whole idea of sovereign sometimes gets taken way out of context. But like this sense of God, we trust, we have faith that like this is moving in a redemptive arc. And we know that there, there's a whole bunch of people who plot. We, we've seen this all throughout the Tanakh, which is the Old Testament. We see all of this, but like yet, 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 we trust. We trust you. And it continues on, and then I promise we're done. It says, Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in the city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, and anointed is the word in Hebrew, Messiah, which is in Greek is the word Christ. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with what? Great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders. And I love last week, Jackie talking about this. Stretching out your hands. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. They're not saying like, hey, stretch out your hand and give me a double portion so that I can be better at my job. Stretch out your hand so that there can be more healing, there can be more breakthrough, there can be more of a move of you, but may they still see that we're idiots, morons. May they still see, though, that we have been with you, and it's you doing the work, not us. And I love this because what they're praying for in the face of adversity is boldness. It's boldness. And then it ends with this. After they prayed... The place where they were meeting was shaken, and they are all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Now, I'm going to, like, fly through one other part. And, And the other part is just simply this, because this week, the challenge is for you, and the invitation is to read Acts chapter 5. And as you read Acts chapter 5, I want you to have all of this context... Because as you read Acts chapter 5, I want you to see a couple pieces. Remember remember they prayed with great boldness. May, may there be more signs. May there be more healing. Look what it says in Acts 5 verse 12. Just one chapter over. It says this. The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people. And all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. So all of a sudden, Acts 5, you're going to start to see more healings taking place. So the sense of what they prayed for is continuing to happen. And now because a law has been set that you can no longer speak, preach, heal, or do anything in the name of Jesus, all of a sudden, now the Sanhedrin has full permission to bring them in and go after them. And they do. And read the story. It's amazing. Uh, Paul's rabbi, Gamaliel, says some incredible words. Uh, but I want you to see this last verse. This last verse from Acts chapter 5. It says this. The apostles left the Sanhedrin. They left the Sanhedrin. And they don't get in trouble. Because Paul's rabbi, Gamaliel, speaks up. You'll see that this week if you read Acts 5. 
rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. And I want you to see something. Is here, if you take it all the way back, you have Peter and John and these religious leaders are like, there's something different about them. Unschooled, untrained, but they've been with Jesus. And something has happened in 40 days, and it's called Resurrection and Pentecost, where there's this filling of the Spirit, where now these leaders are speaking and proclaiming and, and praying, not just they have boldness, but they have more boldness and more people to experience Jesus. And then even in the face of more threats and suffering and beating, they leave rejoicing that they were counted worthy to experience just a fraction of what their Lord and Savior. They, they actually find themselves rejoicing because they're tasting what the cruciform life is, a life being shaped in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. And from that, they find themselves day after day, and you're going to see it through the book of Acts, week after week, they're entering homes, house to house, home to home, place to place, and they are proclaiming the good news. So what does all this mean? I, I think for many of us, we know a lot about Jesus. But I often wonder like where, where we are at with boldness. Uh, for many, many months and years, there was a phrase, um, some of you know it, but like I, I would often say, and it comes from Joshua, and, and one verse nine, it's used three times in four verses, be strong and courageous, and that phrase in Hebrew was rak shazak. And, and literally it was this sense that when, I, when I, I couldn't muster up any courage or any sense of boldness, I, I, I sometimes would whisper it, rak shazak, under my breath. Sometimes, sometimes I would scream it in a nature preserve. But I, I, I needed to like access something more because in a moment, whatever threats or ever fear or ever worry or ever sense of anxiety or, or wondering what people might think or all, all of that somehow just allowed whatever of the spirit of God that was in me, whatever anchor or boldness that was in me just to kind of dissipate. And I, I can understand what those religious leaders, what those threats were like. And I can, under, I can understand just the, the, the kind of sense of, 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 of Peter and John, the other apostles, just going, we need more. We need more. And I, and I think in, in many ways, the Western church, in some ways, we, we've gotten really good at, at, at creating, in some ways, what the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Sanhedrin had done. Institutions and temples and massive, massive stuff. But sometimes we, we can just drift. I mean, when you get to that, that first church, all of a sudden they, they were just people who were like, give me more of the spirit. Just give me more boldness. People are going to say what they want to say. They're going to say we're idiots. They're going to say we're morons. Whatever. I don't care. I just want them to see Christ, like the resurrected power working in me and through me. I want people to be like, that makes no sense. But I can't deny there's a guy who couldn't walk is now beside me walking, dancing, jumping. I can't, I can't make sense because those two people were getting divorced. 
But somehow, something happened, and they are one again. And just real quick, I heard that prayer. It was the first time I heard it. If there's any of you who are experiencing any sense of abuse, please don't leave this place without talking to us. Just in your marriage, please. Back to the message. But, like, I, I, I find myself just sitting there going, can you, can you understand it's not about us, but it's what Christ wants to do in and through us. And the truth is, I feel like I miss so many moments. And you heard this acronym with the word ACTS. And th- this is what I want you to think about. Ask, connect, thanksgiving, serve. What, what, if, what if we just spent some time maybe just doing what the disciples did? It's praying for boldness. And, and I, I think ask... I think you get really, really limited to just asking a friend to come to church. I I think it's so much bigger than that. I think it's asking God for direction. I think it's asking for the Spirit's leading. I I think if if the more that you do that, the more it's always going to lead you to people. Because that's the only thing you can take into the next reality. But, like, how are you at asking God? How are you at being attuned to the way of Jesus? How are you? Maybe in today, today's the day where you're like, I just, I just need a filling of boldness. Maybe for you, it's in connection. And some of you are really, really good at connecting. You can chop with anybody. And some of you are like extroverts and you can just like, just, just stay like one foot deep, but you can chop with anybody. But some of us, maybe, maybe the connection's a bigger word than this. Maybe, maybe for some of us, we, we struggle with connecting to the parts the parts of our story where there's pain or connecting to the parts of our life that we've just been able to push to the side. Maybe for some of us, it's not about connecting just with someone. Maybe it's actually connecting to the parts in us that are hurting. And maybe for some of you, you're good at connecting to those parts. You're doing your work. Fantastic. Going inward. Love it. But maybe for some of you, you, you struggle with actually connecting with your neighbor. Maybe, maybe that's where you have to ask for boldness. In the face of threats and suffering, what do they do? They ran back to their people and they prayed for more boldness. Maybe for some of you, it's Thanksgiving. There's too much bitterness, too much resentment, not enough gratitude. And may, maybe for some of you, we just, we just have this moment of asking for boldness to actually be grateful have a spirit of generosity and, and, and it's, it's more it's not about money, it's more than money money is just a prop that actually gets to the spiritual formation of what controls your heart but generosity with your words and encouragement generosity with your time, generosity in everything because that's what the gospel is, that's the good news that God was generous with us so that we could have access to him, and maybe for some of you it's boldness to serve and serve I don't just mean like putting on a towel and washing people's feet I don't mean just like serving and volunteering. Maybe, maybe it's wildly deeper and more than that. Maybe, maybe the service is actually recognizing that there's a marginalized group of people. And you have not wanted to know their story. Maybe, maybe the service is like, Lord, give me the boldness to not, not even talk to them yet, but do some learning. That's good service. Maybe the service, maybe the service is there's someone that you just can't stand. But maybe the service is, Lord, give me the boldness just to pray for them. 
maybe it is getting and volunteering. Maybe it is. But here's what I'm asking is if we're going to be the kind of people who go backwards so that we can go forward, so we can go upwards, so we can go inwards, so we can go outward, we have to be people of the text. And so here's what I'm going to invite you to do. I'm going to invite you to stand. I invite you to stand. And I invite you to put your hands out. All right? All right? Put your hands out. Almost just to, to imagine like receiving I love what the text says multiple times in chapter 4. You can see that they were filled with the Spirit. It was almost like they were like, fill me, Lord, with the Spirit. Fill me, Lord, with the Spirit. And this is, this is the posture of what it means. You can't earn grace. You don't take communion. You receive communion. You, re- you receive grace. You receive the filling of the Spirit. Nothing that we do, but it's when we are filled up. We're so tuned we can go forth. So think right now about one of those letters, A, C, T, S. How many of you feel like, just a show of hands, you're like, I need to grow, I need some boldness right now in A. Nine of you, fantastic. All right, how many of you are like in connection? Connecting maybe, yeah, more. How many of you Thanksgiving? Yeah, you'd be more grateful, right? S, serving, all right. I just pray. I'm not going to make it weird. I just want to pray that right now that the Spirit would just, just fall in this place. And that we leave this place with just a little bit more boldness. God, I understand that the Scriptures will teach us that we can come and have access to your presence that you are here. God, I'm confident And not just the faith that we have, but the hope that we have, the access that we have. That you don't want any of us walking and living on empty, and and yet many days, many of us do. I ain't included. But how amazing it is, God, that you are so present, that you are just wanting to fill your people with more of your love with more of your truth, with more of your conviction, with more and more and more of your presence. And God, I'm just praying that my friends, whether they're at a quarter of a tank when it comes to boldness, I just pray that just little by little, you start to fill them. As Tiff was just praying for that, Sarah's heart, 45, 46, 47, 48, 95. Just praying that right now that people would be filled with the spirit, whether they ask in their connection with you, in connection with others, in connection with their pain. You fill them with thanksgiving and gratitude. You fill them with the heart to learn, a humility to serve. And boldness, God, I understand, comes when we make decisions against ourselves. When we do what we don't want to do, but we trust you and what you are doing over what we think and how we think it should go and be. So God, I'm praying that this week you would lead us, you would guide us, and that there would be this beautiful Rakshazak boldness that would fill us. We pray all this in your name and all God's people said, amen. Grace and peace, everyone.